Oh, welcome back. Welcome back to this celebrated podcast. To this celebrated, to this, the mecca of music that is this podcast. We talk about artists unknown and we talk about artists that everybody knows. We talk about poetic and deep lyricists and we talk about Brazilian rap as well. You know, and we talk about sweet electronic music, Scandinavian electronic music from the early 2000s, and who the hell knows what's coming up now. I do have the number already. I haven't seen which album it's about to be draw. I guess I should make a prediction. I think it's going to be an... Uh, Probably a 80s, 80s album, not necessarily like a synth pop album or anything very characteristic of the 80s. It could be, you know, indie rock, it could be something like that. I'll probably say Pixies, let's say, probably Pixies. I think it's, it's interesting if it's Pixies. That's my prediction. Let's see if I'm correct about that. I most definitely will always be wrong, so you can see that I don't plan this ahead. Let's have a quick look. 72. Oh, beautiful. Nick Drake, Pink Moon. So not 80s, but a album that I've been listening to recently. And an album that I've talked about, the predecessor, and I've I I have been revisiting Nick Drake a lot the last couple of weeks because I started to listen to albums in their entirety. Right, I started listening to albums like with purpose. I've done that in the past. I've tried to do that sort of a dis discipline sort of idea because I, I, I felt like I was jumping too much from one thing to the other like audiobooks, podcasts you know, albums music, so I ended up listening to Fred Gibbs, Fred again and John Hopkins those are those were the artists that I linked to the most, you know because those were the things that I was consuming um, and, and you, you, things that were speaking to me more strongly especially during the last year those three artists i think that you have pretty much everything covered there right with those three like the best of hip-hop the best of house music very very voice based sample based and the best of micro house which is the thing that what i do is pretty much very much influenced by john hopkins especially their you know that his last two albums, Immunity and Singularity, which are, you know, the, the best of the best. But I've been trying to spin my horizons and listen to another, you know, spin my horizons even more, you can say. And still listen to Fred Gibbs, still listen to John Hopkins, but doing so with purpose doing so from the beginning to end 
Uh, even if I want to listen to a particular track, I will listen to the whole album that has that particular track. So things are treated like, you know, as if you're seeing a movie, as if you're doing something with completude. And it has been really good because I've been able to lean towards some artists that I was always very keen on. I was always a very, very big fan of. But you get lost with the favorite songs that you have. You kind of lose that connection with the albums themselves and the wholeness of their work. I'm reading Leonard Cohen's biography now. I've been watching some documentaries, mainly just one that I've watched recently, but I've been listening to his things too. So I've been doing the, the albums in sort of progression. Started with the 60s records and... and 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 now um, I listened to I'm, I'm Your Man recently. I will listen to various positions. And I've listened to songs of Leonard Cohen and songs from a room, which are albums that I'm entirely 100% familiar with. But, um, you know, it gets that dose of whatever that poetic content you can, you can get from a guy like him. Um, I've been trying to access uh, whatever that man thought as important thoughts of or important Leonard Cohen in that case, right? Or important uh, ways of seeing reality and ways of seeing relationships and, you know, sort of practicing some letting go of things as well and embracing the new things and embracing your own flaws and his humor also I find to be very, very appealing. And because of that connection with the albums, I was very interested in a particular collection of songs, which is probably a 26 record, no, 26 track record from... Um, Nick Nick Cave's uh, Nick Drake's catalog. So you have a bunch of artists there, a bunch of artists that I'm also a very big fan of, like John Gren and uh, Radiohead's drummer Philip Selway. Uh, you have the guy from Elbow, I think, covers a song, and a lot of like up upcoming sort of folk indie rock artists as well. A lot of people from the early 2000s and late. 2010s and and you know now the 2020s came in and recorded Amanda Palma, famous for you know her career with the Dresden Dolls, that's her band at least, and a lot of those sort of people that were definitely influenced by Nick Drake's output and history um, in and of itself because it's he is a very sort of inspiring figure in many ways because of his uh, brevity and because of his potency as a songwriter and because of how much he set the tone 20 years before anything like whatever he did became sort of a trend. You always had 
singer-songwriters. You always had folk singer-songwriters in popular music. It was always sort of divided. You have your exceptions. You have your Bruce Springsteen's and you have your New Young's and your Stephen Stills and your David Crosby's and your Leonard Cohen's. That was pretty much, you know, already a staple of music, of popular music. But Nick Drake sort of inaugurated the solitary voice and guitar sensitive singer-songwriter stuff. So if you're any familiar with Elliot Smith, if you're any familiar with Sparkle Horse, if you're any familiar with sort of like any singer-songwriter that you can notice from the early 2000s and, and, and you know, from, from 20 years in the past until now, uh, you're going to see Nick Drake's imprint. You're going to see his fingerprints all over artists like Sid and Carla, artists like Iron and Wine, artists like you name it, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty much anyone that decided to do a very lonely, lonesome, lonely, perhaps, longing approach to singer-songwriting, uh, where the voice and guitar are sort of like the main, the main figure of everything. You have artists that have that approach with certain albums like Nebraska from Bruce Springsteen it's a example that comes to mind and you have like sort of back um, what's the name the one that has golden age the one that has uh, lost cause that's sort of like artists sometimes have their Nick Drake sort of record because Nick Drake had his Nick Drake sort of record in Pink Moon from 1972. I've explained a little bit about this record in particular previously, how it is pretty much just him and his guitar and his ability with the picking of the guitar and his ability with like very much very much experimental with the chord progression and the tuning of the guitar as well. I had a good friend who tried to play his songs and every time I I, I, I asked him to do so, he said, oh no, I have to spend like half an hour trying to tune, you know, everything to his liking, everything like the way that he tuned on his on this album. So a lot of dexterity in service of simplicity a lot of complexity of songwriting in service of the key dramatic and poetic images that he creates on this album. He came from a record that apparently he didn't feel like it was his a lot, Brighter Light Out, it was sort of like a disappointment because he didn't meet any uh, commercial success because he didn't tour because he, he had like stage fright. So 
on the second record, he didn't do anything to promote it. And it was too orchestral and it was too sort of strange for radios to accept in 70. So it's 70, it's, it's 60, no, it's 70, it's seven zero. And it was a totally different era already. So Led Zeppelin was dominated every time. And, you know, like the, the rock and roll was the big name of popular music at that time. So it was very weird to, it was very a very strange record for DJs to play in radio. So it's an album that fell to the cracks, right? And he felt very personally affected by that. As far as I can remember, like the story being told by people around him, because he died very young. He died in 73, when he was 26, I think. And he decided to give the thing another shot on an, on a, on his last record. And the approach that he took was Joe, Joe Boyd, the producer, just came into his house and they recorded sometimes in open air, sometimes in the middle of a, of a garden, recorded the tracks very simply. The only uh, piece of overdub the only piece of instrument on top of instrument, right? That's what, what overdub means. Uh, that can be seen in the in the record in the 20, 28 minute record is the title track. It has a little bit of piano there accompanying the melody. That was the only thing that Nick Drake probably allowed for it to have been done, right? In terms of his approach to the songwriting. All the rest is his sense of his sense of melody, his sharpness as a songwriter, his sharpness as a poetic image conveyor. Like the thing, the things that he brings as images are very, very interesting. Very interesting things to 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 lean towards right I'll, I'll 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 get the lyrics in a second here let me just pause this and get the lyrics so just finishing a little bit more of the background of the album uh he felt very disappointed by how his career was panning out right and eventually he died of a of a accidental at least on the records he says it was accidental overload of like some sleeping pills that he was taking and he was he was a troubled person he had a lot of anxieties towards a lot of things he is sort of like what the creative spirit usually is like an antenna of emotion he was a little bit uh his sister describes him because his sister became like the, the main guardian of his state after that, obviously after he died, because his dad was long gone, his mom also, I think a little bit after he died, she also died, was also a poet and a singer-songwriter, and yeah, his sister is an, an actress, uh, she's still alive, and she speaks that he was very, very mercurial in his temperament, uh, but very sensitive at the same time. 
So part of what I am in a way, you know, I can relate to that sort of aspect. Uh, you know, my, I think my personality travels those two things that I'm older than Nick Drake. <laughs> so I probably learned over the last few years to curb a little bit of that. And I don't know, the, the different things, right? I don't have actually, anyway, it's not about me. What the fuck am I saying? Um, and he eventually died and his sister kind of carried the torch somewhat during the years. I think he came to find success only at the end of the 90s. So what happened was Volkswagen made a commercial and Pink Moon, the title song, is featured on that commercial. And, you know, it peaked in terms of sales. It picked, it picked up, finally, in terms of public recognition uh, of a man that was clearly very, very much ahead of its time, ahead of his time, uh, with a lot of the things that he did. I believe that everybody that came... Uh, came in contact with this record, like artists that came in contact with that record, they eventually saw a lot of influence in it. And I think that if you if you want to be a singer-songwriter, at least the guitar and the voice and guitar kind, you have to have a piece of what Nick Drake did as an influence, because it is pretty much how it's supposed to be done. And I think that all of the greats after him, and I'm a big fan of a lot of them, you know, and a lot of them die really young as well. A lot of the greats sort of did the same, the same thing. Namely, Jeff Buckley, namely Elliot Smith. Those two are other modern Nick Drakes, you can say. Uh, very, very talented, short-lived artists. And they are connected to specific scenes in specific cities. They are both American, right? Jeff Buckley and and Elliot Smith, but die really tragically and die really young. Uh, you can put Kurt Cobain as well on that idea there, but the, the sort of music, and Kurt Cobain actually saw a lot of success and that was part of the toe that he that that he was put on him as well, at least from what I understand. Um so he found a lot of newfound success. And Nick Drake nowadays is celebrated as he should have been in nineteen seventy two because his music just needed to reach the to reach like a large audience. So that anyone with some some passing interest in the in his songwriting style um, would eventually, obviously, fall in love with it, and you know, as as it is like universal and just amazing, right? So he didn't he he couldn't find necessarily a way to advertise or to or to be understood. Because everything else was so high octane in energy, and his music is very much contemplative and introspective. Uh, he is not flashy at all. Uh, even his voice is very hushed all the time. Even his, you know, it, it, his 
playing as well, even though sumptuous and, and, and complex and amazing. It's also very subdued. So this album, it's a completely stripped backed back version of whatever he did on the la on the last two records, which are already very sort of quiet and very sort of introspective in their own right. And the lyricism and the sort of surrealism. So think of Alice in Wonderland. Think of that sort of imagery. Think of that sort of energy. Like a very a very sweet fantasy. You know, his lyrics, they travel that sort of thing. But it's very grounded as well. But he has that sort of animus to it. He tends to speak about objects and about slices of reality in a very whimsical and magical way. But because his delivery is so is so simple, direct and and, and and subdued in a good way, those details they glimmer in, in real life in a way. Because they speak about boots, they speak about skirts, they speak about the moon, you know, the titular pink moon. They speak about um, like a clown, you know, like the the the, the lifting the lifting the mask from the local clown, feeling down like him, you know, that sort of image. He has the 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 magical capacity there, but then the depressed. <laughs> And uh, and uh, and the grounded aspect of things, they cut that sort of magic. But even though that magic is cut by the delivery, and actually the 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 last point that he makes in there, because the clown is actually sad as everybody else, you know, as sad as everybody else, there's still a magic there. There is still the sensitive. And, and, and poetic outlook and the willingness to look at things in a sensitive and poetic thing, uh, po poetic way, but probably because of, you know, an overarching condition of hopelessness and, and difficulty in being accepted or, 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 or difficulty in dealing with the fact that not everybody is going to accept you, no matter how unique and amazing your gift is, which his was, right? So he had to battle against that. Like, I have a very sweet and unique perspective. I am a lovely person, but I don't see any, any praise. Eventually, he saw praise, but, you know, it was too late. It was 20 years too late. 25 years, I think. If you, if you trace the... I mean, he obviously had a following because he was inserted in the folk, folk music, British folk scene, in a way. Uh, a lot of the figures from that era, Richard Thompson... And even John Cale, which is a figure from rock and roll, experimental rock and roll, plays in this record. There's a lot of people, a lot of prominent people that really loved Nick Drake. 
and especially first and second record. After that, his death sort of clouded everything in terms of like how people perceived it, his career. But he was adored. He was adored by his peers. He was seen like a wonder kid, you know, like someone that comes into the scene and blows everybody apart, blows everybody away, right, with their talent and with the with their capacity to woo everybody, you know. So, and you have a very very strip back back to basics like Christina Aguilera would say back to basics album very short very much a not an epilogue it's not an epilogue at all it's a it's a, it's the swan song of swan songs is the song that it's the is the album that finishes with uh, and now she rises and she is everywhere so it's it's an album that finishes with an image of someone rising and being all around which is a romantic sort of ideation sort of thing but it also speaks to he himself right as a, as a person in a way if you if you can interpret that if you want to interpret that sort of thing it uh, i find it very interesting to do that i could be wrong obviously but he's speaking about ascension he's speaking about it's very it's very hard not to see like the last verses of 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 the from the morning i think is the name of the song the last song of this album as a goodbye you know it's very hard not to say that in 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 hindsight that he was saying okay so now i will be rising i don't think he committed suicide i don't think he's i don't i don't think that could be said about what happened but he was definitely troubled, right? He was definitely... Well, his family doesn't say that, so who am I to say anything about it in that regard? But um, it was clearly like someone being done with whatever was, was going on. And that's that's sort of like a sentiment uh, within depression, right? It's it's The end is always very much looming, uh, it's it's if you if you're in the depressive state if you're in a overwhelming sort of state uh, the end is something that you that you that you contemplate right not necessarily as a suicidal ideation but it can lead to that and there's definitely times where I think this album is a bit dangerous for that reason because the suicidal ideation it's such a it's it's a frequency that you can you know like the wrong person listening to this record can have that sort of thing because it's not glamorized it's not the right word but it's there it's there it's definitely there you know like it as an album that contemplates like dark matters and and a, a very 
sort of dark and disillusioned state of mind that I think is undoubt, uh, undoubtedly the, 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 the case that Nick Drake was going through that at that time. Um, and it, probably his whole life, but this is the record that captures that the most. There is like a, there is a tint of that sort of thing happening here. So it could be, it could have that trigger warning, you know? But nonetheless, um, it's an album that faces, it does face all of those issues and does face all of those ideas about desolation and about isolation and about a depressive and unlovable state or the feeling of hopelessness and the feeling of un of being unlovable it faces that in a very beautiful and unique way beautiful and unique way that I think Leonard Cohen is the only one that got closer to that but still Cohen it's a bit different because he he didn't have like or maybe not necessarily at that time before right this the 68 record his first album it didn't have any depressive underlying tones to it not necessarily he had more of a sense of him trying to prove himself as a singer songwriter and try to translate his his thoughts into song not necessarily like a like a chronic of someone that's perhaps clinically depressed and so and saw it even in that depression music as being like like the perfect outlet for it you only wish that the guy had remained alive right to to flourish even more who knows what would be the 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 next steps of his career i don't think he would have repeated pink moon in any way i think it would be like a bleep on his discography i think that he would probably try to overcome and and per perhaps come back to the to the more baroque and, and more rich ideas of the first two records because they are beautiful records as well but pink moon because of the connection with his death and because it's such a such a downwards look into the abyss you can say and whatever happened afterwards happened afterwards right so it's it's uh, the connection has to be drawn between those those two things between his death and between whatever this album says uh, I promised some lyrics, and this album deserves a, a, a sort of deep dive, so I'll, I'll get into it. So I saw you written, I saw you written, and I saw it say, Pink Moon is on its way, and none of you stand so tall, Pink Moon gonna get you all. Uh, it's very, again, interpretations, right? don't really know what the hell is going on but you can say pink moon is a symbol for for something dark coming i don't know i don't know if that's any sign of anything happening like physically right if if that's any sign of um the things that are about to come there is a theme of harvest there is a theme of nature 
in service of emotional turmoil or at least ser serving as a backdrop of that sort of thing. I would say Pink Moon, it's either... It's supposed to be symbolizing death or it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be symbolizing like some sort of darkness arriving because it's going to get you all and none of you stand so tall, right? What's, what's so certain in life that nobody can... It's definitely death, right? It's definitely something like that. But you have on have you have on that first song here, and the producer is John Wood, not John Boyd. Joe Boyd produced, I think, the second the second record. Uh, I think that you have here like it's very telling of the simplicity and it's very telling of the poignancy of his songwriting. It's one idea, it's one image. It sets the mood for everything. It has the instrumental, um, the the piano overdub there, which gives a little bit of a a little bit more color, and it makes the song more palatable, right, than the other ones. Uh, the sense of melody, the sense of progression of things, it's 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 pretty beautiful in how simple it can be. And you're gonna get the second track, which is one of my favorites. It's place to be. When I was young, younger than before, I never saw the truth hanging from the door. And now I'm older, see it face to face. And now I'm older, gotta get up, clean the place. That that for those four verses there are just amazing, right? It's just so much packed into those four verses like the innocence of childhood and whatever adulthood entails. So what is hanging from the door, it could be a parent, it could be like, you know, his, his, the act of him growing up, right, hangs from the door. Usually it's, it's a custom that people measure the, the kid's height, you know, with the, with the door, whatever you call that thing, that you know what I'm talking about. And when he's older, like the only thing that he has to do, it, it's get up and clean the place. So it sort of implies that he was laying down. So it implies like the looming mental condition that he suffered. And I mean, anyone can rely to that sort of thing, right? It's, it's when, you, when you're older, eventually your malices, they catch up. To you and whatever piled up during your infancy during your adolescence and young adulthood eventually will show its true face when you're when you're an adult eventually you're gonna have to face that and he clearly sees that happening here and now i'm older see it face to face so he himself grew up and to eye level of whatever threat he sees hanging from the door. It's interesting the image of hanging in there. Anyway. And I was green, greener than the hill where flowers grew and the sun shone still. Now I'm darker than the deepest sea. Just hand me down. Give me a place to be. 
So his sense of hopelessness, his sense of darkness to taking over. It's interesting how honest the thing is, right? It doesn't give any fault, not even to himself. It's just he sort of presents himself as darker than the deepest sea. Contrast with the flowers and, and, and greener. So it is also a look back. It's sort of it's a autobiographical look back in more tender childhood days and how his mental condition was decaying. Clearly someone that didn't get you know, as much help as he needed or he didn't allow for people to help him a lot. I don't know. It's 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 a strange thing to 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 consider him being such a such a character, such a far far away sort of figure, right? You can't really understand what was the what was the mentality of those days. Clearly like the, nowadays it's way more better understood right uh you don't get too caught up nowadays with the with like what society would think about some someone that's clearly in 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 a, in a predicament like this right so it's it's a very beautiful description like the contrast between the green and the darker deeper sea which is the dark it's like the furthest thing from from the sunlight and whatever is green it's so because of the sunlight you know a lot of a lot of very beautiful very poignant poetic imagery imagery in here which he had on the on the other album albums but in there it's like the same connection to nature the same sort of just position with nature and emotion that he does on the first two albums, he doesn't in here, but describing that shift. And I was strong, strong in the sun, and I thought I would see one day, when day was done. Now I'm weaker than the palest blue, also weak in this need for you. That song is fantastic. Like, uh, and he gives somewhat of a background. He gives somewhat of a context to why he underwent that transformation. So he puts, he brings someone else to the discussion there. So he says that he's weak because of someone that's not there or because of the need for someone, which could be, could be a romantic interest. It could be it could be a parent. It could be a, a, it, whatever. You know, it doesn't really doesn't really matter. But it can definitely be interpreted as as something romantic, or perhaps just an incapacity of him to show like a version of himself that's more like his younger younger self, his less darkened self. So it's definitely like the the chronicles of someone undergoing a very painful time 
with something happening in there. And we have the next track, which I believe is an instrumental. No, road. No, it's not an instrumental. It's the next one, I believe. You can say the sun is shining if you really want to. I can see the moon and it seems too clear. Again, light and dark. Sun and moon appear right next to each other. And the sun, it's the con contemplative sort of aspect of things. So you can say the sun is shining if you really want to. You know, you can stretch the logic to understand that the sun is shining. I can see the moon and it seems so clear. So you, it, there is a relativism with the fact that the sun is shining. Again, when you're on depressive state, it's really hard to understand anything that it's not that depressive state that your mind put you on. And he sees the moon. And the moon, again, you know, the, 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 the theme comes back there, is the sort of like the bearer of bad news, in a way. Because the moon brings the night, right? The moon is the symbol of the night. And it's something that you can clearly see, you can clearly look at. The word lunatic comes from the, the, the understanding that People, people that adore the moon, they are sort of like crazy because they can see the moon. They sort of adore whatever that object is. In hindsight, the sun, it's always everywhere, especially in my room right now because I don't have any blinds because I can't afford any blinds. Anyway, it is pretty hot. You can take a road that takes you to the stars now. I can take the I can take a road that will see me through. Hard to know exactly what's going on here. Again, it's sort of like uh, the light. It's always for someone else. The light appears always for someone else. The sun shines for for another person. I am left just with the moon. I can't have any light in my life. You know, sort of like the theme of this album. And it's interesting that it's such a heavy subject. It's such a heavy sort of state of mind to be in. But you're definitely, when you listen to this record, if you don't lean too much into the lyrics and read too much of it, you're going to feel taken care of. And you're going to feel relaxed in a way. And you're going to feel like there is something very beautiful being communicated. And the hope... And I think that the glimmer of hope that he had during that time is still a little bit, it shines through, even though just a little bit. I don't think it shines through very much. I think that it, it, his situation here was very dire. But anyway, let's come back. They're very short songs, so let me just get which will, and then I'll, I'll, I'll do the last. I'll do the last one. Things Behind the Sun is also fantastic. So which will? Which will, it's more repetitive, it comes back like to the same uh, progression of always a question being asked, you know, which will you go for, which will you love, which will you choose from, from the stars above. Again, image above, stars, heaven, darkness, it's a star being a source of light as well, uh, wishes, you know, I wish to be different, I wish that you've chosen me, that sort of longing, which will you answer, which will you call, which will you take, 
for your one and all. Sort of cryptic, hard to interpret anything in here. Sort of like, please be mine sort of idea, I think. That, that song, it, this particular song is more about the relationship between the melody of the guitar and the relationship with the lyrics. So it's that sort of rhythm that both of those elements get amongst themselves, right? It's th that's more about that than necessarily any any overarching interpretation or or poetic image that he chooses here, because it's quite simple. Uh, which do you dance for? Which makes you shine? Which will you choose if you won't choose mine? So it's sort of a of a of a contemplation of rejection and a contemplation of how does it feel to feel unwanted and how does it feel to feel that someone would never choose your will never see you from what you think you're worth or at least that a person will never show to yourself what you are really worthy of that you you yourself don't believe in so it speaks of hope it speaks of you know your will or my will not necessarily his will straightforwardly but which will you love the best so there's a theme of choice being played with in here um so again it's it's more about the rhythm of the of the guitar and the picking of the guitar and how that um how does that talk with the question sort of element poetic element there i'll do things behind the sun uh, horn, the fifth track, it's it's uh, an instrumental. So that one is more fully fledged. So it is the longest song in the entire album. It's the one that speaks more to the other compositions there that he that he had. Please beware of them that stare. They only smile to see you while you time away. Your time away. And once you've seen what they have been, to win the to win the earth just won't seem worth your night or day. Who will hear what I say? So again, same sort of themes being played with here. It's a very thematic, it's a very concisely thematic album. Um, there was also a, a big influence in all sorts of artists' career to have such a concise and precise. theme of an album and it, it speaks to the the production aspects of it as well it's um it's certainly something that influenced a lot of people in the 80s and people in the 90s and you know up until now you have albums with that sort of basic blueprint of theme so look around you'll find the ground is not so far from where you are but don't be too wise down below they never grow they always tied and charms are hired from out of their eyes never a surprise so it's a more verbose approach to 
to the album so far. It's the center of the record. It's the sixth track. It has 12 tracks in total. So it is the one that spans, that explains itself the most in the record. I won't try to do any 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 sort of interpretation. You know, you just please uh, please observe that the themes of farming, the themes of nature, the themes of light and darkness, the themes of rain, the objects, the use of objects to explore uh, emotional turmoil, all that sort of good stuff is in here. And sort of callbacks to other songs of his as well when day is done you know it's a, it's a it's a song from his from his first at record so that's sort of that the sorry i'm burping so he, he talks about when the day is done which is a song of his that speaks uses the same uh, terminology there i'll get into the last one a day once dawn, and it was beautiful. A day once dawn from the ground. So, darkness. You know? If the if the album starts with the pink moon, which is the bearer of, of bad news coming up and being there and something inescapable, this last track, which is the last track that he ever released, right? In, in, in When he was alive. Starts with the day dawning and actually being beautiful right so you you start with the contemplation of nature and the idea and understanding that it is beautiful no matter what and it speaks to endless summer nights as well endless colder ways so it is a way to finish the record with a theme of rising from a theme of ascension from a theme of singularity you can say and now we rise and we are everywhere and now we rise from the ground you had plenty of images of someone closer to the ground someone that the last last uh, things behind the sun speaks of that um, look around you find the ground is not so far from where you are so someone it's clearly close to the ground. It's clearly fallen. Now he rises. So it's interesting how I think that he was playing with the with the thematic with the with the them, with the themes of the album, and he thought about a dramatic curve to it. So he thought about the arc of the record as something. Like that is thought about. I mean, he—it's not like the musings of a depressive man. It's not the musings of someone who lost hope in life, you know, and is suicidal. I think that he contemplates those sort of things. But it ends with, so look, see the sights, the endless summer nights, and go play the game that you learn from the morning. It ends with the image of morning of sun of endless summer nights and playfulness so it's eventually a step back and a admission that we 
can be children again in our spirits, I think. We can live endless summer nights. We can live, we can contemplate the games and not look at everything through the prism of darkness. Because I think that as a songwriter, he travels the whole album, the whole 27 minutes, 28 minutes of the record, and he rises to that conclusion in the end. So it's pretty telling. It's pretty telling that, unfortunately, reality got the best of him, right? Unfortunately, he came into the ultimate demise of his life. He died. That's what I'm trying to say. But even there, it shows that he was willing to see the day in a beautiful, honest, and untethered way. And he uses nature, he uses images, poetic images like, like those ones that I'm mentioning to exemplify. And what's the game that you played from the morning? You know, it's, it's certainly something that it's akin to childhood. It's akin to purity of childhood and purity of nature and light. So even someone as depressed as Nick Drake and who met the fate that he met, which his mental state has something to do with it, it's undoubted. There is no doubt that that's the case. I don't think it was suicide, though. And this is not admitted by his family, so I, I'm also not saying anything to that extent. But even that figure is hopeful and sees beauty and rises. So why don't we all? What's your excuse? You know, sort of idea at the end there. Why don't you look past the, the compulsions and, and the shitty things that happen to you? You know, like the darkness that you, that you can encounter and look past that and rise from the ground. And she flies and she is everywhere. See, she flies all around. I mean, he uses the, the, the image of a girl. I think that just to externalize the... the the internal, in a way, because you often, as a man, you always sort of contemplate, like, the one of the most beautiful things that we can have as a man is a, a, a women's attention, right? So he uses that, but it's bigger than that. It's, it's not, it's bigger than that. It's not being accepted romantically. It's a, it's a mode of being, like, it's a, it's a, it's a, It's being in accordance with the light that we receive and we emanate at the same time. Because though that, that mechanism is the same. We receive light and we emanate light. At the same time, we can receive darkness and we can emanate darkness. 
I think that this one might be the most intense episode I ever done. I really stretch me here. Yeah, I really stretch me a lot here. Ooh. I did I did get stretch. Okay. It deserved it because this album is one of my all-time favorites. What it represents to music can't go understated, you know? I think there are just a few iconic artists, and Leonard Cohen is one of them, um, that can probably be compared to, to Nick Drake. I think that after he died, like it's, it's been a while, like 80 years uh, since he died, no. 80 years, yeah, it's, uh, his eight year death anniversary, Leonard Cohen in that case, it's coming up on November, so he died in November 2016. Now that we are seeing Cohen as a finite figure, I think that he's having somewhat of a, of a, of a gleam, of a shine, right? Because of his death that Nick Drake had a long time ago. So he's probably comparable, and Elliot Smith and Jeff Buckley, but those are very young and very recent as well, and different styles, right? I don't think necessarily Jeff Buckley contemplated that directly, the same themes as, as Nick Drake here, but they can pair it up, and Elliot Smith the same. But Nick Drake is the godfather anything that you listen to that is based on a guitar and a, and, a, and a voice you can attribute that you can see nick drake in 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 in, in that thing okay all right i appreciate you listening to it this is a long episode I appreciate you 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 coming on this journey with me. And listen to this record. Listen to this record because it's absolutely it's going to be one of the most important records in your life if you decide to give it some attention because it's definitely definitely in my life, yeah, because I've been listening to it god 14 years, half of my life. I've been coming back to this album and I when my grand when my grandpa died on my way to the funeral I decided to listen to this record you know many 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 times during like rough romantic sort of disappointments you know that, that I put myself through this album was there to envelop me in its You, you you get out of it, you get out of it like saying, yikes, wow, that's heavy, but you get out of it like, okay, so it's better that we rise and it's better that we expect better things as well. Because, you know, there is no use of, of, of being engulfed in darkness, you know, but I've I've, I've talked too much already. Thank you very much. It's uh, it's with much love that I that I 
that I speak about this record, and I hope you get something out of it. Yeah? Have a great week, because it's Monday, and Monday is Babylon Bangers Day. Thank you very much. Goodbye.